a spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Hello and welcome to the 74th episode of Curiosityness. I am Travis DeRose, the host of the show, and this is where we talk about stuff that we're all curious about. And this episode definitely qualifies for that. I have on Heidi Nielsen and Doug Paulson, and they have created something called the Menu for Mars. So if you're curious about going to Mars and you're ready to go, this is what you're going to be eating there. That's what we talk about. It's it's really interesting to think about this stuff because uh, you think about it a bit, like what the hell are people going to eat on Mars? But Heidi and Doug really dig into it. And we talk about, you know, what the first food is going to kind of be like. And it's going to be freeze-dried stuff. And then what's the first stuff we're kind of going to grow? And then how is cooking going to be different on Mars with less gravity and things like that? Um, even how you're going to dine and what food is going to mean to you. Is it going to mean the same thing culturally uh, as it does here on Earth? Is it going to mean the same thing on Mars? So it's really fascinating. I think you're going to like this episode. So sit back, relax, and here is the menu from Mars with Heidi Nielsen and Doug Paulson right now. And boom. Good morning. Hello, Heidi and Doug. What's going on, guys? Good morning. How's it going? Doing good. I mean, is it, are you guys in, is it morning for you guys there still? Uh, it seems like morning, but it's actually about one o'clock or so. We're in okay. New York City. Right. Man, well, thanks for being on. Let's talk about the menu for Mars. Well, first of all, I guess, what is menu for Mars? Can you kind of give me a rundown of what we're, what we're running out here? Um, I, the way that we often describe it is that it's sort of a a citizen's experiment in trying to um, visualize and and taste what food might be like um, on Mars, and um, that's I mean that's the short of it. And it it didn't begin like that. It it developed into that. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we started out, um, our kind of long-form title is uh, Menu for Mars Supper Club. And so we started out um, with going out to dinner, essentially, with groups of people around New York City and really looking at what uh, what the menu was like at various restaurants around the city and really thinking about how that food would be adapted to, to Mars. So it's kind of like this riff of a thought experiment over dinner. Um, and, you know, so, yeah. And each, each time we would visit like a, a restaurant, um, we would bring someone with us, someone who had like relevant expertise to thinking about food or life on Mars and just kind of have like a, a dinner conversation. Yeah. And, and we chose the restaurants, um, based on, um, cuisines based in countries that have some kind of space program, but be, but because there's so many different you know uh, uh, ways in which people can get into the be active in in the space environment now that could almost be any anywhere right. any kind okay. of yeah yeah um, so so yeah we'd go out to dinner and then we'd sort of review what the conditions are uh, on Mars and so we kind of like set the stage in a way. And then we'd think of, you know, actually just go through the menu and order food and eat and then talk to our expert and just kind of like have general conversations about what all that, what all that meant. Wow. Like meeting, like how that, 
how this would translate if we were on Mars? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, would you actually be able to eat this food on Mars? And if so, what kind of adaptations would you, you know, there would be some adaptation. And so what would those be? Or, you know, yeah. Man, that's awesome. I love how that got started. So in the, when you're doing this initial stuff, like, are you like, how did you who are these experts, I guess? And how did you kind of find them? Well, we. Um, you know, we first heard like just started from the beginning and like reached out to people we know I and mean, we spoke to gardeners and and compost people um, nutritionists. I mean, just really trying to think about what it would take to just reboot, um, planet earth in a way somewhere far away in a really, in really hostile conditions. And, you know, we live in New York city. Um, and around here we, we have people who are turning, um, you know, empty lots into, into, into gardens. gardens. Yeah. And it's it's a really similar thought process. Yeah. So so a lot of, you know what what goes into that is um, things like composting. So somebody looking at you know who who knows um, a ton about composting, or um, somebody who knows a lot about who's who's looked into um, eating insects, for example. Because we were thinking about alternate sources of protein. Mm. Um, about like maybe like we were speculating that people on Mars wouldn't be able to have any meat, for example. I mean, the only meat that would be there would be, uh, preserved meat from earth. So how would you, what, what, what other sources of protein would, might you like grow on Mars, for example? So yeah. So crickets and mealworms and, um, and stuff like that. Yeah. So one of our, one of our, uh, dinners out involved, supplementing some dim sum with uh crickets and mealworms toasted crickets and mealworms right oh that's so cool yeah that's stuff that you know is obvious of course we would you know how are we going to get protein and stuff you can't have a it'd be tough to have a you know a bunch of cows or something up there on mars so how are we going to figure that out so that's cool so that kind of yeah i guess how do we what are the what's kind of the first food on mars going to be like when we kind of first arrive there our, our starting point in our experiment is is imagining that containers of like dried goods and thermostabilized foods are waiting there. They've been sent there already. We know where they are. They've landed. They're intact, and now humans can go. Okay. Yeah. And and like when we took all of our research and built the menu from our kitchen, we filled the pantry full of those kinds of ingredients and um you know imagining that like you get there and you have to eat several times a day before you can like plant a garden and before you can try to create an ecosystem there mm-hmm. yeah so, so we were thinking that you know like on the international space station it, it, when people first were you know on mars um mostly what they'd eat are like mres you know like prepackaged, complete cooked meals that would be mostly like you'd open up a, a bag and then more or less heat up that bag and eat out of directly something that's already prepared so like and we were setting up our kitchen we were thinking that it would be positioned like something like six months or a year into 
people living on Mars where they might have opportunity every now and then to actually cook something from from these prepared ingredients that would be sent ahead of time. So it'd be, a, it'd be like they'd be eating mostly the MREs or whatever, but they would be experimenting with like special events like, hey, it's somebody's birthday. Let's try to, you know, make um, a birthday cake or, you know, macaroni and cheese or like some special some special food that would be would evoke home or invoke some kind of celebration or whatever. So there would be, you know, so it'd be experimental. Yeah. OK. And then what is a MRE? You mentioned that a couple of times. Oh, meal ready to eat. So, okay. uh, yeah. So is that kind of similar is that kind of essentially what astronauts are having right now? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they, there's a whole, whole, um, well, test kitchens and, uh, meal preparation services that, that, you know, set up, um, set up in advance exactly what astronauts are going to eat on the space station. And they send up those foods that are already like vacuum formed, you know, thermostabilized vacuum formed packets of food that I think were specific. I think they're specifically set up for individuals. Like I think that they, you know, astronauts will like taste food ahead of time and make sure that the food is something that they will like and enjoy that they're not sending somebody a food that's uh, not what they're, you know, not what they're into or not something that they would eat to make sure that everybody is like excited about eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's nice of them to think of that. Cause that could be a real bummer. You're floating in space and you, you get a can of pickles and you hate pickles, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also that everybody is getting, you know, the right number of calories and the right nutritional balance and all that stuff too. So, mm-hmm. so Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, that makes sense that that would just be kind of the, uh, the initial stuff. And then you said for like the experimentation and stuff would start to come for kind of special events and, and things like that, where they're, I mean, what they're trying to make certain things with the ingredients that they've have sent to them, or is this where they're actually starting to, you know, grow things or, or something on Mars? Yeah, it'd be a little of both. Yeah. So it'd be like, okay, Hey, we have a little downtime, you know, after our work shifts or whatever, let's try to like make a meal together or let's start on that garden that we're, you know, let's start growing things. So we have something fresh to celebrate with later, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of like the point in, you know, in, I don't know, some kind of habitat or society that we were thinking. I see. Okay. And then, so what is what does growing something on Mars look like? What does that entail? For our purposes, we um, imagine that they would bring, like, that the first colonists would bring with them, like, the most hardy, resilient, and weeds and things that they could get their hands on. And we're thinking about, like, the kind of foods that, like, grow in, like, in you know, again, in like urban spaces that don't need a lot of water that are like resistant to, to harsh environments. Um, you know, when you think about, when you see these like renderings of, um, like off world greenhouses and these like lush, like tomatoes and stuff like that growing, um, they are like compelling images, but like the, you know, Mars doesn't, we don't think has, 
Yeah, they, they would require so much water. water. Yeah, those things would require so much water. And so we were thinking that, like, well, what what grows under just really adverse conditions? So, you know, what, what would grow under, you know, poor soil or soil that's, you know, the Martian regolith doesn't, isn't soil. It's, it doesn't have any, any nutrients for the plant. So like, you'd have to, you know, figure out that to begin with. So what, what kind of, um, what kind of plants would grow in that environment? And we were thinking, well, weeds, but there are a lot of things you can, I mean, we, people eat, we, you know, what we call weeds mm-hmm. now, like um, dandelions, for example. What are other examples? Yeah. And we also have um, mushrooms. So we had a whole system of growing mushrooms in our in our kitchen, uh, thinking that that would be a nice, fresh way of, I don't know, having a fresh ingredient. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you could eat, you know, dandelions and weeds and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weeds are, is just kind of like a slang term for a plant that grows really fast in a, in poor conditions. And so they tend to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, but they're plenty, plenty good to eat. A lot of them. Yeah. I mean, dandelions are the ones that come up, come, I think mustard seeds also grow really well under poor conditions. I can't quite remember, but, but a lot of different kinds. So we were growing, uh, yeah, we were growing, um, dandelion. Okay. Interesting. I see. And then so that's it, so that would be kind of the, the first things that we would hope to grow there and, and, you know, and have to eat and stuff. But what is there what would continue along that that timeline or spectrum? Would more things continue to grow? Like, would we get to tomatoes and things like that? I think it all depends on water and where it comes from. And, you know, like the cost of getting and I actually forget the number, but the cost of getting things off of planet earth is so enormous that that's like one of the huge limitations when thinking about a colony off off world. And, um, you know, one thought is to find ice that's already out there, find ice that's like on a comet or on a meteor or on a moon. And for that, like so much of, the, the idea of like recreating life like we have here on Earth somewhere else hinges on that problem. So, yeah, like, so what are the, you know, kind of the conditions on Mars that we're kind of looking at where, you know, we we may not have any water? Like, what are what are kind of the other, you know, challenges, I guess, that we're looking at when we get there? Yeah, totally. So, um, so the first we we kind of. Uh, and initially when we were going out to, to dinners, the, the supper club would meet and we'd actually go over the main, the main points of the conditions. So I'll just go over those. <laughs> so there's, it's cold. So, um, yeah, super cold. And, um, so it's like 80 degrees Fahrenheit minus 80 degrees Fahrenheit in winter. And so it's basically really, really cold. It it almost at at its warmest, it gets up to what is pretty cold here on earth. So, um, it's extremely low atmospheric pressure. So if you go outside without a pressurized spacesuit, your blood will boil. Yes. Um, (laughs) the air is super toxic, um, with carbon dioxide. So it's completely toxic to both plants and animals. Um, it has way too much carbon dioxide. 
of there's less um, sunlight, but more UV radiation. So you know it's farther away from the sun, um, but there's no there's really a thin atmosphere, and so the the UV radiation is is higher there. Um, it has only about forty um, percent of Earth's gravity. So we don't know what the effects of like 40% gravity. I mean, there's, you know, there's microgravity studies from the International Space Station, but not what partial gravity is. Um, and then the seasons. So Mar- Mars has seasons like Earth does, but um, but they last about twice as long because a Martian year is like almost two Earth years. So the season, you know, yeah. So winter would be, you know, what, six months or something. Um, and also the distance. <laughs> so to get from uh, Mars to Earth, the communication transmissions are delayed uh, three minutes to 22 minutes, depending on, you know, where both the planets are in relation to each other. Right. So you wouldn't actually be able to have like a regular conversation like we're having now. Yeah. You know, it was super delayed. Um, and then also, maybe most importantly, dust. There's like tons and tons of dust, the kind of dust, uh, it, it, it sticks to everything electrostatically. And so that means that you'd have it all over, you know, it'd stick to everything. Um, it would, there'd be issues with air filters or water purifiers, um, or anything, anytime there's like a gasket, like an air seal gasket that would constantly get stuck with dust. And so you'd have to be constantly cleaning those off. Also with like solar panels, you know, they, the Mars rovers and stuff always get dust on their solar panels, which, you know, affects obviously the amount of power you're generating. And there's also huge dust storms. So um, sometimes it lasts like a whole year. <laughs> Good God. Okay. So it's <laughs> not, a, not a paradise up there. Yeah. And so we were talking about like, um, like all about food, you know, about what that, how that, how all those translations, all those conditions translate into food. So you'd be living in an entirely sealed spaceship like environment, including any greenhouses. So you couldn't, it would have to be pressurized, right? Um, the cooking methods that you use, like, um, you'd have to cook with a, because of the low um, atmospheric pressure, you'd have to cook with a pressure cooker or with an induction cooker or something like that. Um, and you wouldn't be able to have any flames um, because of the mixture of the, you know, uh, because of the mixture of the air with is inside the habitat. Um, so all the food from Earth would be really preserved. So like packaged for about a five year shelf life, which is crazy long. Um, the, for example, the, the food that is up on the International Space Station is packaged for a two year shelf life. So this would be much longer, longer than that. Um, yeah. So fresh food would be super limited. And uh, yeah, we were also thinking that, well, aside from the, the mushrooms or uh, weed kind of plants, weedy plants, there might, people might figure out ways of using algae. Um, because it would grow quickly and whatever, and, and be compatible with like preserving, keeping water or something. Um, yeah. And so, and also we were thinking about whether the dust would have a certain flavor because it would get in everything. Right. So, you know, how would that, how would that affect like the cooking and flavoring of everything? Yeah. That's a good point. Are you going to taste or like feel the texture of that dust everywhere? Right. Yeah, you sure are. I, I think you probably wear down teeth too. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And then, okay. So let's talk. 
Well, I want to ask about the, um, you mentioned like the different, you couldn't really have a flame, uh, like cooking. So the cooking, your kind of your cooking methods would have to be different, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like a flame is really interesting. Like on the International Space Station where there's just microgravity. Have you ever seen those pictures of, of like a candle or like a, a candle comparison between a candle flame on Earth and a candle flame in microgravity? I think I have. Yes. Yeah. It's like the one, you know, so a candle, you know, it has kind of that that shape that is more is pretty vertical, but a candle on on the in microgravity is like a sphere around. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. go up. There's no like um, there's no smoke or whatever going up. It's just kind of this sphere that's like burning out from from the the wick or whatever. So anyway, gravity does affect how flames burn. So therefore it would be really, you know, potentially dangerous. And also the mixture of um, the mixture of air that is breathable might be different and so might uh, have more oxygen concentration and therefore be more um, burn faster, you know, so it might be really dangerous. Mm, I see. Mm. So no barbecuing is the point. Right. <laughs> okay. And then so we it would just be like induction cooktops and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, that's what we were thinking. It seems like what you would use, I guess. Okay. And then, yeah, I guess that's what that's what you would heat with. I mean, would you be, would you still have like microwaves or things like that? What we, uh, we were guessing. So mm -hmm. right. Doug? Mm -hmm. We were trying to do some microwave cooking, you know, um, baking, <laughs> baking by microwave, which, you know, is kind of weird. Like the bread, like cakes and stuff turn out sort of foamy. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Would you have an, would an oven be there and would that, would it just be microwaves? I mean, excellent question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like there's ways of making kind of an oven thing, like a double boiler, kind of like stovetop oven. So it seems like there would be ways of working that. Yeah. Working around that if you didn't have an actual flame uh, that you could use to heat it with. So there, you know, the oven like things. Okay, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Man. Okay. Interesting. And then so, you know, talking about the dust in like the in your food and everything and tasting that everywhere, would that like you would be that would be in the soil that you're using to grow, you know, the weeds or mustard plants or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that seems like would be critical to start trying to create is soil, like trying to to use the regolith and, and make it into something that's more like soil. And as far as flavor, um, we were talking about, um, about peroxide. Well, um, we apparently, so on the, on the moon, um, when the astronauts were landed on the moon, many of them commented about the smell of the moon, about it being smelling kind of like gunpowder and uh, one of the experts that we talked about uh, at our supper club meetings is Arlen Krotz, and he um, is wrote a whole book about about basically everything about about the moon. And he speculated that that the moon would taste a lot like peroxide, and like that it would have sort of a, a persistent peroxide like 
uh, taste or smell or flavor to it. So we actually te- uh, tasted some peroxide when we were out to dinner once. Huh. But it tastes awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was really awful. Yeah, I can imagine. It doesn't sound appetizing. Man, okay. So what would the, be like the kind of the... I mean, I, I guess we're just kind of guessing here, but kind of like the the dining experience and on Mars be like and how would it relate to kind of what it is here on Earth and how we like kind of culturally all, you know, sit down for events, you know, around a dinner table and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think that's like the really one of the really important questions around this. And like the, imagine taking so much of the joy out of food because if it's like, if it's tasting bad and you've had it a thousand times and it's not fresh, it's gritty, gritty and (laughs) tastes like peroxide. Um, then imagine that you and your collaborators are living in like the, the fuselage of an airplane, your, the rest of your life. Um, I mean, it's really, it really points to like this need like this sort of cultural need to like preserve and reimagine the, like the, the, the social ingredients of food um, and to take that with you to Mars, but also to invent new things. Um, and I think that's like one of the real, real questions around, around what, what life would be like there, how to bring joy back into this, to how to bring joy back into food, how to bring joy back into those kind of, encounters with the, with the people that you are fully dependent on, mm-hmm. um, you know, like we, um, as far as like, um, the types of food we tried, um, we tried, you know, Indian food, we tried dim sum, we tried Russian, we tried a lot of different things. Um, we experimented with like, um, different, like, uh, Native American ways to preserve meat, we tried mushrooms and crickets and things. And we, in our um, findings, we found that Ethiopian food might be the most suited for uh, life on Mars. Oh. So then for a couple of reasons, one is like what we're talking about with sharing, you know, um, in Ethiopian food, you have a central plate. I mean, for one thing, there wouldn't really, would there be a dinner table? (laughs) Like what would that dinner table be made out of? Like what material would actually that consist of? Like a a wall of the spaceship, (laughs) you know, like, uh, so, I mean, who knows? But anyway, it has like a, a, you know, a a central plate that everybody eats from together. So, um, so that might be kind of critical and also eating with your hands. Like there wouldn't necessarily be any silverware or, um, because again, that, you know, it, that kind of material takes a lot of weight to, to get to Mars. So would you actually have silverware or maybe, maybe they would have made it or had it, you know, somehow have to make it on site. Um, uh, but also like the, 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 the food itself is like, it's easy to be vegan, um, and eat Ethiopian. And it has strong flavors. It has strong flavors. That would, that would mask the, the weird tastes. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. That's interesting that you found that Ethiopian food can be kind of the you know, maybe a good, uh, a model to go after with the way they eat. And also those, 
and and meaning that it's easy to be um, vegan, meaning to get enough like nutrients from their types of food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so no meat. Um, yeah, uh, the the base foods that that Ethiopian food is made from, like lentils and uh, so on, are are relatively easy to preserve for a long time. So we were thinking that that would plausibly be something that people would have on hand. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it would preserve for a long time and you could make it and it would be like warm and communal and tasty, relatively speaking. Right. <laughs> relatively speaking. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Wow. So is there like, um, I mean, is there thoughts to, I don't know, growing because there's like the impossible meat and beef and all that stuff you see? Is there thoughts to kind of creating something like that up on Mars? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, depending on on the ingredients, um, you know, again, like to think that the main limit is water. you know, working with food that doesn't take a lot of water to, to grow. Yeah. And energy. I mean, like, I I don't really know how exactly the impossible burgers or those things are made, but it seems like it would take a lot of processing and potentially a lot of energy to, to make it. And so that might not be something they can afford Mm -hmm. to, you know, that, that level of processing. Right. Right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I'm beginning to see, it's like a total, it's kind of a, it's hard to, shift my mindset a bit because just like you said with even with silverware it's like well silverware is heavy like how do they get it there like how what are you going to be eating with there's so much stuff that you just kind of take for granted here that we just have is you know you really have to rethink everything you know including water and energy and stuff like that so this is i'm glad you guys are thinking about this yeah you know that's one of like the in you know you know, beyond Ethiopian food and stuff, I mean, one of the main takeaways, which is just like perfectly evident from the, almost from the start of this kind of experiment is, is that life that earth is, is great for us. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> like so suited for here. We're really well suited for earth <laughs> and we like it here. Yeah. So um, you can go outside without a space suit and like walk around. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Breathe, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we were we were made for it here, you know. <laughs> like it's as if we were made for it here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what is the? Do you guys have kind of a vision of what the ideal, I don't know, colony on Mars would look like in relation to food? Like, what would? I mean, would it just be similar to? you know, what we have here on earth where it's the food tastes good and it's, it's relatively easy to get. And, you know, it's, it's fun to eat and, and kind of get around and, and make it part of, make it an experience. Is that kind of the goal there or what, what are you guys shooting for? I guess. Well, you know, I think part of what, what the supper club, the, the sort of ethic of the supper club is to kind of, put those questions to the, the people, to the, to the participants. And then when we built the menu from Mars kitchen and just sort of extended it an open invitation for anyone to, to come to the kitchen, 
and invent a recipe with these Mars feasible ingredients. Um, I mean, I think that's what this project is about. It's about like putting it out there for other people to take that on. And, and, you know, like, um, so many of those decisions get made in, in offices and, uh, you know, in NASA somewhere or in Mars one. And like, I think that's part of what this project is really about. It's about, let's put that question out there. Here are the constraints. Here are the limitations. Here are the possibilities. Let's try it. And, and part of, too, about going out to dinner in New York City and tasting cuisines from around the world was thinking about food migration in the in the first place. Like, so, you know, like food, for example, from Vietnam. You know, Vietnam is far away and ha- and probably grows plants that, like the food sourcing from, if you're in Vietnam, is going to be very different than the food sourcing in New York City. And so how have, you know, how has that, have people in New York adapted the cuisine to not only fit the food sourcing that they can get in New York, but also the tastes of people here. So they might actually already be changing the flavor profile to better fit people, the audience in this, in this place. So I guess it's all about thinking about like the food on, on Mars in the future as being something potentially entirely different than what we can really imagine right now. You know, it might, it might be not something that it might be totally based on algae that to our flavor profile would taste terrible. But if you're used to, you know, the weird peroxide and dust and so on, um, that, that would be a really great thing. People growing up in a completely different environment would have a completely different taste profile. And so just sort of remembering that and thinking about, I don't know, kind of reflecting on our current condition here. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess, because you just kind of whatever you're kind of growing up, whatever you grow up eating and stuff, you is what kind of you probably tend to like. So so if people grow up on Mars loving that Martian dust, that may be their <laughs> what they prefer. Yeah, even if there would be like Martian dust connoisseurs, you know, yeah. <laughs> like there's better yeah. taste. Martian dust from like different places in the, you know, on the planet. And so like the ones higher up on, you know, the mountain ranges or deeper in the caverns, like have a different flavor that you might sprinkle on your <laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. This one's a little more oaky and yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's so fun to think about. I love this stuff. So, yeah, and then, um so we talked about the supper club but i think we need to hear about you know your your test kitchen and everything like how the guys kind of put that together and and what exactly that is the the test kitchen was um you know it kind of became evident during the supper club that we needed to to kind of make time and make space to try to implement all the things we're learning about and all the conversations that were happening. Um, you know, one of the things that has made this project really work is that it really does speak to really divergent interests and it like brings together artists and foodies and scientists and sci-fi buffs. I mean, it it really appeals to lots of different sensibilities. And, um, we built this kind of, um, you know, the Mars kitchen was this kind of inflated bubble 
that is um, trying to help us visualize what life would be like inside of a, a, a closed uh, world. Um, and, you know, fill it full of Mars feasible ingredients, like, like dried things, um, had a garden, had compost, had crickets, had made space for experiments, experiments with like growing, experiments with cooking. And it came with an open invitation for anyone to come in, whether they're part of the supper club or just someone off the street to come in and develop a dish and cook something. And we collected all those different inventions and recipes into a, a kind of a really wild and sculptural cookbook that has, has recipes and pages that are actually like vacuum sealed food experiments and reviews by the other participants who are like reviewing the, yeah. So everybody would taste each other's food yeah. and then like write a food review yeah. okay. <laughs> and with a star system. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So it's just kind of, it's, it's allowing people to use, you know, what will probably be available to them up in Mars and, you know, see what is possible to create. So how are those dishes? Did you guys get to try some of them? Oh yeah. We tried most of them. Yeah. yeah not all. Um, you know, it's like, there's a mix. There's just definitely like a mix of things. I mean, I think like, some of it, I mean, some of it is stuff that we actually cook all the time, like, you know, rice and beans. Uh, at least when I make it at home, I'm, I'm adding water and I'm, and I'm bringing it to a boil and I, that would be the same on Mars. Um, the other things where we're trying to do like, you know, nachos and stuff where we're working with like dried, like powdered cheeses and sour creams and stuff like that is when it starts to get a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and we also noticed that like, you know, cooking together, like, you know, when I'm cooking with friends or whatever, a lot of about what's social about it is like chopping up all the vegetables, like somebody washing and chopping vegetables and then, you know, getting is like doing all the prep work. And we realized that there wasn't that <laughs> there were no vegetables to chop. And so it was just kind of like standing around, like mixing wa a little bit of water into like a powder, <laughs> like trying to re <laughs> reconstitute a powder, you know, like that sort of thing. So it was like a very different kind of, I don't know, social experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Just like, yeah, the way that you prepare things, it, it's less show, social even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, that sounds awesome. Is that so is that kitchen still around or is that gone now? Uh, it was it was up for about a about a month. Um, and yeah, so it's not it wasn't it was never meant to be a permanent installation. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was at an art space in Brooklyn. Um so yeah, we're hoping to do some kind of thing, uh, another type of installation like that, but maybe a different spin on it, like a cafe or uh, some, something like that. Yeah, that would be cool. Man, that's so awesome, though, that you guys got to do that. That's incredible. <clears throat> yeah, it was yeah. really, really fun. It definitely had a life of its own. And it, I mean, like, I mean, you know, a lot of us are thinking about Mars right now. A lot of us are thinking about environmental issues. Um, and, you know, this experiment, I mean, you know, as, as food things often do just really brought together 
people with really different interests and, and made a space for people to um, kind of come face to face with each other and, and, and suspend their disbelief and try this. Yeah. And it, it really, it was like, uh, it was, a, it, it, the project really took a life of its own. Yeah. And it was, it's a, food is a nice way that people can relate to something like, um, or, or feel like they have something to contribute to, to, I don't know, the future. Um, so, you know, not all of us are like rocket scientists or can't, you know, we can't, it's hard for us to, to jump in and discuss something like, well, how do we get something to land on the planet or how do we, you know, anyway, question, you know, deep, deep engineering questions, but food is all of us kind of know how to do, or at least, or, you know, we can all probably make pancakes or boil eggs or whatever, you know, like yeah. the basic, basic survival stuff. And have opinions about and it. And have opinions about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, like, totally. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it sounds extremely fun. So what's the like what now is it do we have a pretty good understanding of, you know, how to get started with food and stuff on Mars is the next step just to go there and and start doing this stuff or is there more experimentation and and thought that needs to go into this? Um it's such a huge unknown that you know, we think about it and play with it and experiment with it infinitely until we're there. Yeah. And it's like going to be some huge problems that we never thought of. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, to us, I think it's all it, it, the whole, it, it's, it is about trying to envision what food is like on Mars, but it's all about really appreciating food on earth. You know, it's, it's about like kind of, seeing our own place here and appreciating what we've got rather than, you know, really thinking that the future there would be so awesome because really what we have here is pretty awesome. Yeah. It's pretty good here. Got lots of food. <laughs> yeah. Tastes good. Easy to get. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Life's good. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. So that, yeah, just to kind of shift the perspective that, you know, life here is pretty good and you can walk outside and your blood won't boil. Yeah. <laughs> totally exactly <laughs> man well yeah. this is great thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing all this stuff guys i love thinking about these kinds of things so um this is awesome hey yeah, thanks. thanks so much for having us yeah of course so um where should we send folks if they want to kind of learn more about uh what they're going to be eating on mars uh net. perfect cool well i will have a link for folks to click on for that and um check all that stuff out and uh we'll get some pictures of your of the test kitchen and everything too for folks to check out so excellent Great. thank you thanks yeah yeah thank you heidi and doug appreciate it again and uh have a good one all right all right you, you too. too bye bye Well, there you have it. Thanks for sticking around and listening, hoping, hoping that you found that fun and interesting. Uh, thank you to Doug and Heidi for being on and, and sharing all that info. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And it, it helps the show out a lot if you uh, shared it with your friends and family, someone you think might find this interesting. And uh, you can find us on Instagram at 
Curiosityness podcast. It's where I do most of the stuff, and I'll have some photos of the uh, Mars kitchen that Heidi and Doug have there. Um, but that's it. Thanks for being here, and I'll see you in episode 75. Bye.